Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. I'm Michael Krasny. In June, Californians began venturing out of their homes after a few months of shelter in place. The state's previous success in clamping down on the spread of the coronavirus has since turned into a resurgence of the disease, with cases rising quickly after Memorial Day. Yesterday, Governor Gavin Newsom said California can reverse course. We bent the curve in the state of California once. We will bend the curve again. Mark my word. Uh, We will crush this pandemic. We will annihilate it. We'll get past this. We discussed the recent spike in coronavirus infections and how the state can reflatten the curve. And that's next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Three months into shelter-in-place restrictions, California thought it had contained the spread of the coronavirus. Now, heading into July, infection rates and hospitalizations have ticked up more than 225,000 cases statewide, nearly doubling in just one month. Experts say Memorial Day weekend marks a turning point when more people resume going to work, socializing and patronizing businesses. Health professionals expected some of the recent surge as more tests became available. And still, some of the increase could have happened because people are engaging in more high-risk activities and not taking sufficient precautions, such as wearing masks. Here's how Governor Gavin Newsom explained it yesterday. One of the areas of biggest concern as it relates to the spread of COVID-19 in this state remains family gatherings, not just bars, not just out in streets uh, where people are protesting and the like. It's specifically family gatherings. We discuss what experts think is driving the current surge of coronavirus cases in California and how to regain control of the pandemic. Joining us, Laura Clivens, news and science reporter for KQED. And good morning, Laura. Good morning. Glad to have you. Also glad to have Dr. Kirsten Bibbins-Domingo, who is professor and chair of the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics and professor of medicine at UCSF School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Bibbins-Domingo. Good to have you. Thank you. And I also want to welcome Anita Chabria, who is a staff writer with the Los Angeles Times. Good to have you, Anita. Welcome to the program. Thanks. Good to be here. Glad to have all of you aboard here. And Laura, let me begin with you. We're getting uh, certainly some strong messages about the upsurges, upticks, uh, the numbers accelerating, too much viruses to control. The CDC says Dr. Fauci has been talking about us moving in the wrong direction and possibility of even 100,000 cases a day. This is all very frightening and ominous. Uh, it comes down to maybe a couple basic questions. How in California, which was supposed to be the miracle, as Dr. Bob Wachter said, but no longer appears to be, how did this happen and what do we need to turn it around? Well, um, there it's not fully known how this has happened, but there certainly are guesses. Um, so what we can look at is we really started to see an uptick in mid, uh, mid-June, and this is related to following Memorial Day weekend. Um, in part, people believe that younger people appear, well, first of all, they appear to account for a larger surge in the new cases, and that's similar to many other states. Um, and part of this reason could be that we have expanded testing now, so you don't need to meet as many specific criteria, but that's probably not the only reason. So um, perhaps they are exposing themselves more than uh, than other age groups. We're seeing a decline in, the, um, in older individuals. Um, 
And health experts and state officials are saying that millions of individual decisions across a huge state are contributing to this. Um, we're also seeing a reopening, right? And so we expected our case numbers to go up with that, but not quite as severely as they really have. Um, some people are saying it's a combination of what counties need to do, what businesses need to do, and what individuals need to do. We've seen in some businesses in LA County, for example, uh, one study showed that, that half of them, uh, half of these businesses were not actually complying with new, or half of restaurants, excuse me, were not complying with new public health rules. So um, there are tons of reasons why, and those are just a few that I've, I've mentioned. One of them that you have written about and actually uh, have focused on is whether or not the protests actually exacerbated the problem. And some of the conclusion of experts seems to be that the protests did not necessarily weigh in that much. That's right. That's what experts told us who we've spoken to. One of our um, experts was actually Dr. Bivens Domingo. Um, and the thinking behind that was, uh, was in part protests uh, were outside. A lot of people were actually practicing social distancing and people were wearing masks. Um, now, that wasn't the case for all of them, of course. Um, however, what experts have told us is that the rise in cases has not aligned geographically with where most of the protests were. And what we know from um, folks who are, who are testing positive and reporting to the county, many counties are asking these individuals, did you attend a mass gathering? And we are not hearing that they have. So that's where that data comes from. Again, Laura Clivens is news and science reporter for KQED. I'm going to go to Dr. Bibbins Domingo. Dr. Kristen Bibbins Domingo is professor and chair of the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. And let's talk first about San Quentin because this is very much in the news. Uh, and we did spend some time looking at it uh, and discussing it here on forum in terms of these Chino prisoners being transferred to San Quentin. But the numbers are alarming and the spread is alarming because uh, you have prisoners and you have those who work in the prisons going into the hospitals nearby and transmission is accelerating. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, you know, prisons and uh, congregate living settings where people are living close together are known sources of outbreaks um, uh, across the country and are things that we actually need to plan for. Um, if you look at the New York Times COVID tracker, you can see that across the country where outbreaks are, are in prisons, uh, meatpacking plants and nursing homes. It's almost exclusively in those areas. Um, the one in San Quentin is, is really quite devastating. They went from no cases, um, and then after this transfer where uh, the, the, those prisoners who were transferred from Southern California for Chino um, weren't adequately tested, really seeded an outbreak there. And then the combination of an old facility, poor ventilation, it's a facility that's over capacity right now, uh, dormitory style living, um, actually, um, it, it took off like wildfire, as one, one might expect. Important to know it's both prisoners and staff who are infected. People have died. Um, as people are, are more ill with the disease, um, they can't be taken care of in prisons, and so they have to go to our surrounding hospitals. Um, and I think the issue of prisons is, and other places like this that are, are known to be sources of infection is that they, we might think of them as separate from our community, but they're very much have an impact on the community um, through a variety of different ways. And we have to figure out how to, how to keep uh, outbreaks like this at, at bay if we're going to have any success at getting ahead in this pandemic. Well, what is your sense now, Dr. Bibbins domingo of the rates of hospitals and how they're going to be able or not able to accommodate uh, more severely sick numbers are rising going into the hospitals? This is uh, certainly more true in southern parts of the state, and we'll talk about that as well than it is here. But nevertheless, they're going up and they're accelerating in ways that... Uh, really should give us called pause, serious cause and pause. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we should, California did did uh, the right things at the beginning. Uh, we, we looked at what was happening in New York and we, uh, we instituted and uh, really from the leadership down to um, everyone else uh, really took to heart sheltering in place so that we could flatten the curve and not have the overload of our health system. I think the big challenge has been that as we reopened, we didn't quite reopen with the same degree of caution that we needed to. And so we had 
that immediately on reopening, which is a risky maneuver, um, also had debates about masks and had a whole bunch of outbreaks and had people who wanted to see their loved ones start seeing their loved ones in large numbers. And all of those things have meant that, um, that we're not just seeing a rise in cases, but a rise in cases of people with severe disease. So we see more cases in the hospital. I don't think California looks like New York, and um, but I think what we have to remember in California is that we have the capacity to take um, uh, counties that have more are more at capacity with their hospitalizations to transfer patients to other counties. But that means we have to think as a state that we all have to uh, to take all of these measures in place so that. Um, hospital capacity that might be limited in one county starts to eventually affect other counties. And I think that's an important thing to consider. And you mentioned masks. Uh, certainly, we still have this ongoing problem of masks becoming too political an issue. Vice President Pence has taken wearing masks, but the President of the United States, Donald Trump, uh, has not acceded to that or acquiesced, whatever word you want to use here. And uh, the problem is it's, uh, it's still a really dividing issue. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that that it has become the politicized issue that it has. The reality is we're going to be living with this virus for a long time. There's no such thing as open or closed that we're going to have these measures and not have these measures. It was always going to be risky to reopen. There is risk out there because the virus is out there and we all have to take common sense measures and masking is the most clear one that we can all do uh, to mitigate risk. Um, and that, plus uh, being more conscious of these higher risk environments, the bars, the mass gatherings, all of those types of things are important. But masking is, 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 um, is probably the, the single most uh, important thing that we can all do uh, to, just to make sure that we keep the, the virus at bay while we are doing the thing we all want to do, which is to get out and get back to, uh, to resuming parts of our lives in a, in a more normal way. And I want to... If I could add in around the masking um i'm one, sorry one... is this anita tubria oh this is laura clagans oh i'm, so, I'm sorry i was gonna go <laughs> sorry there. no laura please i can just jump in yeah so um it, another to, to go on what dr bimens domingo is saying um one of her colleagues dr rutherford has said basically you can think of it as we're trading shelter in place for wearing masks and so that's sort of what he says when someone is reticent to put on a mask but um, while we've seen the political divide happening across the country, we did just have a bipartisan effort by the past five governors um, in the state of California putting out an ad together saying, wear a mask. This is annoying, but just do it. Um, and so we are seeing efforts to try to cut through that partisanship in California. But it's really been a problem. We've also seen health officers resign because of orders that they put in place and then get threatened. Yeah, I want. I mentioned, in fact, in the last hour, and I wanted to get some uh, numbers from you, if I could, Laura, before we go to uh, Anita Chabria. Uh, and that is, here in the Bay Area, we have counties on the state watch list, don't we? Why is that? We do. Um, we have some counties on the state watch list. Um, so let me just take a look at exactly what it is that we're what we're missing here. Um, uh, so for increases in hospitalization rates have been an issue in both Contra Costa and Santa Clara County. Um, so those are some of the reasons why. And if we could look south for a moment with you, Anita Chabria, um, you know, there's uh, I, I mentioned uh, Dr. Dob, uh, Dr. Bob Wachter, who is head of medicine at UCSF, uh, saying California is supposed to be the miracle, but the miracle seems to be over with all these numbers going up. Uh, and he also said something to the effect of uh, that we really um, really need to hone in on the, the, the sense of what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. And uh, maybe one of the things we're doing wrong is splitting the state too much. Uh, he said, for example, if someone sneezes in Los Angeles, you can get a cold in San Francisco. You know, it's a cliche, but we're all in this together. Well, I think that's exactly right. And I think that's been one of the real struggles for California is that so much has been left to the individual counties to... Uh, not only decide, but really to figure out how to do that you're seeing um, the results of that fragmentation. You're seeing, you know, someplace like Riverside County, where there was not a lot of restriction enforced or put in place. And that is going to very quickly spill over, as you mentioned, into Los Angeles and other nearby counties, because they're, they're reaching capacity, they can't do it. 
And uh, I think you're going to see more of that in coming days. One thing that I, I think it's important for everyone to understand in terms of managing our expectations of where we are is I have a lot of uh, doctors and, and Dr. Bivens Domingo might speak to this really stress pointing out that what you're seeing in the hospital today was behavior that took place three weeks ago. So what you're seeing today, we haven't changed anything in that three weeks. If anything, we've gotten looser. So you're going to see more hospitalizations. Even if today we went back to shelter in place, it would not immediately curb our hospitalizations. So we are in for, at, at the best case scenario, a month of uh, real stress on our medical system. And the thing that we've all forgotten, the reason, one of the major reasons we did this in the first place, the shelter at home, was to protect the medical system and to protect those workers. And now they are without a doubt about to go through another period of intense stress and intense uh, ask of them as we do this. And again, we're at this point where if we don't intervene in some way, uh, we, we risk not just overloading them, but overloading them for the long term. Yeah, Anita Shabria, again, a staff writer with Los Angeles Times. Uh, so uh, let me get to this with you, Anita. Um, the governor, again, there's a kind of division in many people's minds uh, here in the state because he ordered mandatory bar closings in Los Angeles and Kings County and Kern County, San Joaquin, uh, Tulare, mostly in the south, though Fresno and Tulare aren't. But um, there's also going to be more enforcement from him, more aggressive uh, guidelines for the 4th of July weekend. And uh, he's going to address those uh, traditional family gatherings comes into the picture here because a lot of transmission can happen as a result of those. What do you anticipate to hear from today, actually, from Governor Newsom when he's going to be making his pronouncements? Well, that's what we're all waiting for at noon is to see exactly what it is that, that he is going to be asking us. But I personally am really skeptical of that enforcement. I think it's... Um, more of a twig than a stick because when it comes down to it it's not the state that does the enforcement it's it's the localities right it's the cities it's the um the sheriff's office and and those local governments and we've seen in some places a real unwillingness for any kind of enforcement and also a real uh question mark as to what that would be i mean it's not clear what is the fine for not wearing a mask? What is the penalty for not wearing a mask? It doesn't actually exist. And so you're asking for an enforcement that is, is brand new and that you have many places where those who would do the enforcing aren't really that, that excited to do it. Talking about the recent spike in coronavirus cases here in California, and if you would like to add, add your voice to this conversation or if you have something you'd like to ask, or concerns you'd like to express about containing the spread of coronavirus, we want to hear from you. What behaviors are you using to stay free of COVID-19? I'd like to hear from many of you on that score if we can. You can call us now at our toll-free number, the number to call, 866-733-6786. That's, again, 866-733-6786. And also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions you might have to forum at kqed.org. And let me go back to Dr. Kirsten Bibbins-Domingo. And these numbers that are going up in the hospitals, uh, Dr. Kirsten Domingo, uh, excuse me, Bibbins-Domingo, these numbers are going up in the hospital. How much do they have to do with the young people who are now going up in numbers as well? Yeah, so what we know is that the, the average age of the cases that are diagnosed with uh, COVID-19 right now are, are much, much, much younger um, and I, I think it's it's easy to look at the pictures of um, of people in bars and say and young people and say, well, that's because of reckless behavior on young people's part. And it might be the case that 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 is the case. I think it's also important to remember, though, that we as a as the state have been reopening, and we asked older people to stay home because it was risky. So as we reopen businesses, it's inevitable, I think, that cases are going to reflect cases in younger people because they are, um, whether through just going to work or more risky behaviors, um, that they're the ones who are going to be infected. I think the challenge with young people is this. They are oftentimes have a symptomatic infection. Um, and that means um, that means it might affect individual behavior. This is not a big deal, COVID. What, why should I change my behaviors? 
It also means though um, that um, because they are asymptomatic, they can be the source of infections uh, in other people who might be more at risk. And we know from studies in Japan that it was oftentimes um, younger people, people without symptoms who ended up being uh, the source of clusters of infection uh, that took place. So the patterns in young people are important to watch. Awareness of, um, of both just the common uh, sense practice of wearing a mask in young people is important because even if though they might not themselves be symptomatic when they get infected, they have the ability to infect others. And then the last thing that I would add is that even though we focus on young people um, spreading to older, more vulnerable people, um, young people can themselves get sick with, with, uh, with a severe illness. It, it is the, the strange thing about this virus that although it's clear that age and comorbid illness is, is an important risk factor, they, they also are um, people who have been previously healthy who've gotten very sick uh, with this disease as well. And so more rare, but important to remember. Yeah, and an important message to get across, I think. Uh, I'd like another message from you, if I may, Dr. Bibbins-Domingo, and that is, what would you say about non-native speakers? And uh, so many of them are really uh, concerned about not only testing and even going to testing, especially if they're uh, undocumented, but uh, getting the message across to them, it's a challenge. Yeah, this is a this is a major issue, and I think it's important to know that even uh, like places in our ba- in the Bay Area where we have flattened the curve, essentially, um, we still during the time of a flattened curve had um, had real much higher uh, viral transmission happening in our minority communities, our poor communities. This we have had a particular um, issue across the state in our Latinx populations, but also in in other. Um, uh, non-English speaking uh, uh, populations, uh, primarily English speaking populations. And I think it speaks to a confluence of events that, that really, um, really put uh, these communities at risk. We're probably not getting our public health messages out in the same way. They're probably not being delivered with, by trusted messengers because um, of, of issues of, of mistrust with uh, government messages. We need to do better of uh, making uh, our communication in language and with through trusted messengers. We need to do better to actually do more testing in uh, communities that are disproportionately affected, really taking testing to those communities, um, and then assuring that the things that make it hard to shelter, to shelter and then certainly to isolate and quarantine if infected or exposed, um, that we provide support to those communities. And that would include things like making sure that, that the food and, and basic needs that are essential when you're sheltering and when you're quarantining are, are made available, and that people are not worried about a job that they're, that they're going to lose because they've become infected. And all of those play a role, I think, in the disproportionate burden we've seen in, in these communities. All of them indeed do. And we're coming up on a break here, but I'd like to ask you, Dr. Bibbins domingo I think you have some optimism about uh, finding a plateau here or flattening the curve. Uh, that, in light of the fact that there seems to be so much political division and the kind of challenges we've been talking about, I mean, we need some kind of unity. We're not going to be able to be like New Zealand or Taiwan. Why are you optimistic? I, I'm optimistic because we've done this before in California, and I think we um, we've we've shown that we we can mobilize together. We're also at a at a different time when we we know much more about um, about the the types of individual behaviors and at the type of sort of structural supports that we need to do this. And I um, I am feeling optimistic uh, that we can uh, seeing that the missteps that have taken place more recently um, uh, sort of pivot to to get more of that in place both at the the leadership level and at the individual level. I'm optimistic mostly because we've done this before. And yes, we, we're in a little bit of a, a low point right now. And it, trust me, it makes all of us not feel good about this at all. Uh, but um, but I think I think that we, that we know what to do, actually. Well, I'm heartened by your optimism, and I hope it carries us through or it, it comes to pass in fruition. In the meantime, if you'd like to express your feelings, you can join us now at 866-733-6786. Or if you have questions, again, it's 866-733-6786. I'm Michael Krasny. 
This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny, and we're talking about the recent spike, upsurge in coronavirus cases here in California. Laura Clivens of KQED with us, and Anita Chabrier of the Los Angeles Times, and also Dr. Kirsten Bibbins-Domingo, who's professor and chair of the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at UCF School of Medicine. You may have heard Dr. Bibbins-Domingo opine before we went to that break that she is optimistic. There are many who are not. You may want to weigh in on your thoughts here one way or the other. Um, uh, there are many who have been saying, that, and Dr. Fauci is one of them, the worst is yet to come, but we hope that we can, as uh, Dr. Bibbins-Domingo say, we did it before and we can maybe, we hope, do it again. In the meantime, if you have questions or concerns about the spread of coronavirus in California, and you also may want to let us know what kind of behaviors you're using to stay free of COVID-19, you can call us now at 866-733-6786, and you can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. Let's bring Cynthia on as our opening caller here. Cynthia, welcome. You're on the air. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm, I have a general question and also some comments regarding masks. Uh, my understanding is that there are basically three types of masks. One is the cloth mask, one is the N95, and one is medical masks. Right now, the general public is not allowed to purchase N95 masks or medical masks. Uh, so we're all basically very handicapped uh, with only cloth masks. And I would like to know, is there any push from the government trying to procure medical masks as a minimum for the general population? And furthermore, uh, people, a lot of people feel like when they wear a mask, they can get just a cloth mask, they can get close to people. I just met with a contractor this morning, and he was getting very close to me, and he felt comfortable. I said, hey, you know, keep your distance. <laughs> but um, with a lot of people, I think they feel like with a mask, they can get close to people. And everybody needs to understand this is not the case. Um, yeah, I think you raised I'd a couple like of good points, uh, and and I'd like to go to Laura Clevens on your first question about uh, the availability of masks uh, and the different kinds of masks. Laura, Laura, are you there? Uh, am I? Yes. Can you hear me? Now I can. I couldn't be. Oh, okay. Um, I am. Uh, so, Cynthia, I'm not aware of any uh, push by the government to try to get medical grade masks for the general population. Um, but what I can tell you is that with the masks that we are all wearing, um, the cloth masks, right, the purpose of these, uh, as you probably know, is for if everybody, enough people are wearing these masks, that we are reducing the amount of virus that's in the air. Um, and some studies have shown that for this to be very effective, we would need around 80% of the population to be wearing these masks. So that's why it's incredibly important that we're saying that you know, we're hearing health officials say, okay, we need total adherence to this because it's not going to be as effective if it's just some of the people. Um, and what I can also say is that to make your own cloth mask more effective, what we're hearing from different organizations is that, you know, you can use any kind of material. Um, it's the World Health Organization recommends that masks should be at least three layers thick. You can boost the strength of a mask by adding Kleenex um, in between fabric. Um, one study out of Stanford even says that um, spun-bound polypropylene, which I didn't know what that was before this, which is found in some sheets and uh, vacuum bags and some uh, reusable shopping bags, that can be used as a mask covering, and that has a very tight weave and can actually be very effective, especially if you give it a static charge once a day by rubbing it for 20 seconds with a latex glove. So those are some ways you can boost your own uh, use of masks when we can't use or get our hands on N95s or medical grade masks. And again, Laura Clivens is news and science reporter for KQED, and Anita Chabrier is staff writer for the Los Angeles Times. Anita, I got a response uh, from you to a tweet from a listener named John who says, this seems like it was entirely predictable by this, I presume he means the upsurge. At the tail end of Newsom's daily briefing run, he kept simultaneously announcing phase two reopenings while also announcing high numbers of new positive cases in hotspots like L.A. County, Riverside, etc. Why did he push reopening so hard? 
Well, I think that it became a political decision. I think that you you saw the reopening protests and uh, and in fairness, you saw the economic devastation and some of the mental health issues that uh, come out of that kind of lockdown. And I think that the pressure was just too great to um, to maintain that lockdown. But yes, I mean, it's absolutely true. Many of the experts that I've spoken to, uh, many of the doctors in the hospitals are not even mildly surprised by this. It was uh, it was somewhat of a given that we were gonna see some kind of bounce in cases as soon as we relaxed restrictions. I think there was a hopefulness that uh, people would continue to do those personal things that keep the cases down, but uh, an increasing acknowledgement that they have not. And so this is not un unexpected to many. Let me get back to masks. I'm getting a number of comments on this. Let me just read what Valerie, one of our listeners, has to say. She writes, I'm a 62-year-old diligent mask wearer in Alameda County. As retail is opening, I have told each store I enter that if I see someone not wearing a mask, I will leave and not shop in their store. That's about the only tool I have, but I hope it will encourage retailers to enforce mask wearing. And here's Rosie who writes, let's take advantage of America's competitiveness by promoting a challenge to all Americans to wear masks, social distance, et cetera, to see if we can beat Europe's track record of containing the virus. It might get young people's blood boiling to make America beat Europe again. Uh, and here's a listener named Pam who writes, employees at my workplace were called back to work at the beginning of June. It took at least a couple of weeks before everybody was wearing a mask inside the office, which has no doors or windows that open to the outside. Social distancing wasn't even being observed without masks. So we get back to, and we'll go to you on this, Dr. Kristen Bibbins Domingo, this problem of people actually following the guidelines or using uh, at least what's been provided to them as a sense of what they should be following. Yeah, I, I think your your uh, your listeners are bringing up all sorts of great issues. I wanted to go back to one of the the points that that, that the previous uh, caller mentioned is uh, the importance of remembering first of all that cloth masks actually are very very effective. Um, there was a good study coming right out recently that they're very effective um, in general, as Laura says, from keeping the virus out of the air. And if most people are wearing them. They have to be combined with with the distancing. That's important, and I, I think important uh, to remember. Um, in, in, if I if I um, if I had my uh, my wish come true, um, we wouldn't be relying on um, sort of orders, but these would just become um, part of our our just standard practice of, of behavior. In the same way, many of our public health efforts have. You know, we don't generally blow smoke into people's faces if we're smoking. We have a high highly attuned to not smoking in public. Um, we're highly attuned to wearing seatbelts as we drive, and that's the same way we have to start adopting these uh, practices of of mask wearing um, and distancing that it's just becomes part of human uh, routine uh, behavior, the way, the way that we'll interact. And I love the idea of, um, you know, of making this a very American thing. And if, if we could figure out how to instill some creativity and competition in this, that, that might help. And I'm glad you mentioned seatbelts because that along with, uh, there was one time when people thought it was a, a real infringement on personal liberties to require a seatbelt, just like it was uh, to require people not to smoke cigarettes in certain closed places. Um, wondering, uh, Anita Shabria, if I can go back to you, um, about testing. And Governor Newsom has talked about wanting to get back or get up to about 60,000 a day presently, uh, or just last week he was over 95,000. So uh, this is, I think, a probably pretty positive sign. Uh, the President of the United States has said that, you know, the number of tests uh, ought to be fewer because then we'd have suddenly uh, fewer cases somehow in his mind. But the reality is that um, there's going to be more testing and it should help us. There is more testing. Uh, my concern is that the testing is not equal and that you are seeing the state pull back on some of its commitment to funding that testing. The, the Times actually has an article by Kaiser Health News today about the fact that the state is pulling back. Uh, many of the contracts we have for testing centers only go through August. And we have the issue of equity. And I think that, you know, we've touched on that a little bit here, but I cannot stress to you that this is a disease that is hitting California and the nation uh, in, 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 by race and class. Black and brown people are getting sicker. They're getting um, and, more And forgive me, more of, them, more of them are dying as well. Yeah, more dying. They're getting more severe cases. And when we talk about, you know, making these personal choices, you're talking about people who economically don't have a choice to make. 
they have to go to work. Um, and when they come home, they have to be around other people because they're living in smaller spaces. And I think that, you know, as we have this discussion, that really has to be um, front and center that the decisions you make, when you go to the bar, someone is going to serve you your drink, someone's going to wash that glass, someone's going to restock the bar that night. And those are all people with far fewer choices about. I'm so glad you make this point because we definitely need more testing for these essential workers, uh, Latinx workers who are in high numbers of coronavirus, excuse me, uh, of the coronavirus uh, sufferers, and they are in the front lines. Uh, I want to actually bring another caller on, and that's you, Alicia. Join us. You're on the air. Yes, this is Alicia. Um, first of all, I wanted to. I'm sorry. I'm still very emotional. Um, I just wanted to thank you, Michael. Um, you are bringing the best news ever during this pandemic. And I really want to thank you. And I also want to thank your presenters, every single one that you have brought all this time. They are incredible. So, uh, hats up to you. Um, as I was saying before, I'm 75. Um, I live alone. My family, one is in Colombia, and they have very strict rules about being sheltered in place. The other one is in LA, which is not a good place at this time either. And um, my feelings are that um, we we uh, it it really pain me all the economic and all the injustices that are happening at this point that are coming up because of the pandemic that we have been ignoring because um, we were some very much selfish, individualistic. And I came to this country more than 50 years ago. And, and, and uh, I understand that we want to be individual, but we began this globalization in the 90s, and we are traveling all over the world. We are one community. We we can go any place we want, right? Except some countries that we are not allowed to or, or we don't allow to. But we basically can go any place in the world. So this is a pandemic. This is a world, world crisis. I'm sorry, and Alicia, to interrupt the, you, but at this point, there are yeah. many places we can't go. The EU is not allowing Americans to travel because of the high number of cases that we have here. Exactly, but, yeah, at this point, and we shouldn't. So we shouldn't have gotten to this point. So my, my thing is I don't understand. When I go to Lake Elizabeth and Freeman, I don't understand that I see all races, all ages, not wearing a mask, something so simple, Right? Not keeping distance from the other people that are more vulnerable, like myself. And so I um, I don't understand why I, it's hard for me to comprehend why people are not taking this seriously. Lisa, excuse uh, me, but I think there are many people who share the feelings that you're expressing so strongly. And uh, I don't know if anybody wants to address this question about uh, noncompliance and... Uh, yeah, and, and I have a question, too. In the sense, those sheriffs that do not want to follow the governor's uh, mandate or order, um, are those, why are those people having a job if they are not going to follow um, our governor's Order or, well, forgive me, Alicia, that's that's enforcement and all of that is a different issue. But you're raising a couple of, it seems to me, uh, extraordinarily important points uh, having to do with refusal to compliance and what to do about the refusal of compliance. Uh, Dr. Bivens, Domingo, I'm going to go to you on this. Uh, some thoughts? I think this is uh, this is exactly the tension, and I, I thank uh, thank you, Alicia, for bringing this all up. This is this is part of the tension. Um, I think that. Um, we, we, we as a state, we, we are a state that, that, especially in public health, likes to govern down to um, the individual, the, the local level. And I think it's the variability across the, the local level and enforcement, and it's the variability even within our locals about 
about different neighborhoods and, and what sort of ends up happening that that does in fact um, feed into uh, the resurgence that that we're we're seeing right now. And I, I think that this is a time when we're going to have to think a little bit more collectively. Um, that's going to that is why you're seeing uh, um, at the highest level in the state more clear messages about um, about doing the same thing across California. But but because the enforcement is local, I think that's the challenge. And um, I, I I do think that the pandemic reminds us how interconnected we are. Just as Anita was saying, um, and this is a time when in a pandemic when um, each of us is not safe until all of us is safe are safe. And uh, I think that that is in fact the challenge right now. We don't know who is the person who's going to get the next infection when you're. Um, when you're at the grocery store, we don't know um, the, the dynamic that is going on there. And the only way we can keep all of us safe is to really just take those basic those basic public health measures. And I would hope we can reach at, to a time when this just becomes routine part of, part of the way we all behave, as opposed to relying on enforcement efforts, which themselves are going to be more challenging. But Alicia brings up, it seems to me, a, a crucial point. And there's, there's a kind of individualism and libertarian uh, ideal that you shouldn't be forced to do anything that you don't want to do. There was a whole uh, viral video of people down in Palm Springs, uh, for example, arguing that, you know, God gave them breath and God gave them the right to choose whatever they want to, and they're not going to brook any quarter when it comes to uh, having something enforced upon them. Uh, so if, if, you know, it, it, it gets into enforcement here, you get into a, a whole hornet's nest and uh, hydra-headed kind of monster in terms of cutting off heads. It just either has to be passed as public policy and enforced on every local level, or you simply allow it to run rampant. Uh, I don't know that, uh, where yeah, there's a compromise. So the pandemic is not compatible with this idea of everyone doing their own thing because right. we each put that's each right. other at risk. And um, and I think that's important to remember because what we each put each other at risk um, with the people who are around us in our neighborhood, but also across the state. If we have a county that is having a higher cases and they overload a hospital system in that county, it affects the other counties. Um, if we have, um, if we have, you know, um, more, more cases um, in parts of our community, but we don't realize that it is it it is our our large, diverse, um, multi uh, you know, across the income spectrum communities that live in our environment who each have um, uh, who each are at risk when we all don't do the things we're supposed to be doing. Uh, that collective spirit does sometimes seem to be at odds with um, with the individualistic American spirit, but in the pandemic, we have to get more into that collective mindset. Yeah, I'm with you there, this Dr. Is, um, uh, let oh, me yeah. actually, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I wanted to go to um, you again, Laura Clivens, if I could, with a question from a listener named Kathy. She says, why do some counties, uh, Butte, for example, in California report recovered cases and some counties like Alameda do not, and why do some counties not report the number of tests that are conducted? Hmm. Well, that is a really good question. Um, I don't totally know the answer to that. Um, I, I know, I mean, some in terms of recovered cases, that can be a tricky number to find. So some counties are not sure, you know, when you say that somebody is recovered, or maybe they don't have the follow up data for that. Um, I did want to jump in really quickly to add to the last point that you all were making about the collectivist idea, um, an individualistic idea. I mean, I think it's also important to say that Californians um, do deserve some kudos for the behavior that we showed earlier in this pandemic, like in March. Um, so cell phone data shows that Californians actually moved around less than people in other states. Um, and so again, with Dr. Bibbins Domingo's potentially optimistic outlook, we can do this again and we can act collectively. Um, uh, yeah, so I just wanted to, to point to that because I think we're hearing a lot of like, what we've been doing wrong. Um, and we also had a moment where we were really doing some things right. Well, well said. Let me bring another caller on. Andre joins us next. Andre, thank you for waiting. Join us. Oh, yeah. Hi, how are you doing? Um, my question is, um, the only information I get from the coronavirus and, 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 the, and the, the, the death that it, that it, it makes is like um, from the media. And here in the peninsula in California, um, like me personally and the people I know, I don't know anybody that has personally died from it or had contracted it. And um, I know some communities had um, contracted it, but no one's 
I know has it, and um, the person down the street had it. They don't practice social distancing. They'd be at the liquor store all over the place. So by them standards, everybody in East Palazzo should have it, but nobody does. Like, how, how like, is the coronavirus as serious as it is, or is it not as serious? Well, I think you raise an important question, Andre, and I thank you for that. I'm going to go to Anita Shabria because Anita's written about uh, the rise in cases in areas that, uh, well, seem to be not necessarily virus-free, but certainly lower in numbers. I'm talking about inland California, for example, places like that. And they've had to contend with this. Uh, The reality is that many of the people uh, who live in places where the numbers are lower uh, take a more, shall we say, complacent attitude, and that's also mistaken in light of what we've been saying about the need for unity. Well, I think this is one of our greatest challenges, and it's twofold. One, it's uh, it's places like you're speaking about where maybe in, in Palo Alto you're not seeing the cases, and so it becomes hard to worry about it as much, or, or you start to wonder. But then uh, there's also the very real fact that California is not a uh, unified political uh, community. I mean, there's many parts of the state where... Um, there is there is simply is no pandemic. I receive emails and calls on a daily basis from people who just say, this is not real. I don't see it around me. This is all just hype. Uh, you know, you're, you're causing drama for nothing. And I think you see some really interesting uh, political alliances. You're seeing uh, people who are very against vaccines uh, team up with people who the Tea Party is having a resurgence in California around these reopenings. Um, and teaming up then with some kind of right-wing, uh, you know, more extremist ideas about civil liberties. And so there is a really solidified uh, group throughout California that absolutely is not going to participate in um, in our efforts to stem this. They just flat out don't believe the science. We see that even more strongly in other parts of the country. Ron DeSantos, for example, the governor of Florida, just pretty much would not move, uh, even though their numbers are skyrocketing, even to some extent more than ours in California. Yeah, I, but I would like to say that that this resurgence, we've seen counties that haven't had cases really, um, we now see them in our rural counties. We're seeing them more That's in right. counties that we haven't had the things. And I think the challenge for this virus is that once you're seeing it, it's already a little bit, you know, the horse is out of the barn, right? And so uh, the pro- our normal human behavior is to downplay the risk. We don't see it around us. But as we all start moving around more, as we start moving around the state more, I know my family members are trying to figure out where they're going to spend this wonderful 4th of July weekend. They want to move and go somewhere else. All of that is the way the virus moves around. And so once you see a lot of cases, it already is too late. And and the challenge is to try to get people to to realize that the virus is around us, whether we see it or not, and to take those those common sense measures, even when it's not obvious. Speaking about the uh, ubiquity of the virus, uh, I'm wondering, Dr. Bibbins Domingo, what you would say to one of our listeners, William, who writes in and says, with all respect to our governor, California is not a nation state, and unlike Hawaii, folks fly and drive into California constantly, and the policies in their states obviously will impact our health. So, for example, in New York, they're saying now if you live in California, you can't come into New York because your numbers are so high. This is Governor Cuomo. Uh, but here in California, we're still open, and there are people coming in here and bringing the virus to us. You're absolutely right. And earlier on, I think California didn't want New Yorkers to come here. So we're, you know, I think that's why you see Dr. Fauci making the state that as a nation, we have to think collectively as a nation. Um, But it is the big challenge of this virus is that this virus is at once both very local and about the decisions I make very locally and very global. And for a state like California that has both lots of uh, global um, in and out and, and a lot of people who come in and out of the state from other states in the U.S., um, we, we it, it, that is precisely the challenge. And that is why we have to start by taking the common sense measures we can for California. And if I could uh, go back to hospitalizations for a moment with you. Uh, actually, Laura Clevens, maybe you can give us some figures about hospitalizations and capacity. How are we faring at this point? Um, yes, let me take a look here. So, um, so in terms of hospitalizations over the past two weeks, they have increased by 43%. So that's quite significant. Um, yeah. There's a big difference though, here in the Bay area and in Southern California, Anita, can you share Anita Shabri? 
shed some well, light on this? Some places like uh, Riverside and Imperial counties where they're overloaded. Yeah. They're, um, they're running out of beds. They're uh, transferring patients to other places. Uh, Los Angeles put out a warning that if things don't slow down, that they could be uh, seeing a lot of stress in their hospitals. The positive parts are, uh, as Dr. Bibbins-Domingo said, we have much better treatments. We have a better sense of what we're dealing with. And most hospitals, at least in Los Angeles, at least have a couple weeks supply of protective gear. Remember, we're, we're still not out of the woods on protective gear. We yeah. still haven't got those supply chains down so that we know that we're not gonna have that problem again, but it is in better shape. But you are seeing that alarming increase, not just in hospitalizations, but also in ICU hospitalizations. And let me bring another caller on here. Nina, join us. Uh, Nina, you're on the air. Yes, good morning, everyone. I have a very serious message for all the people that aren't doing mask and distancing. Um, what is not talked about, we are not yet a category. We are the tail of COVID. Also, quote, we're long haulers. There's thousands of us on a Slack group. We're at 100 days, 140 days, 60 days, 90 days. We relapse, 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 and relapse. And most of us have had negative tests, but we all have COVID. Our doctors confirm. And for these young people, we have people in their 20s on our Slack group, and there's also a Facebook group. And um, you can get this, and you will continue to relapse for months, and we don't even know if this is lifelong, such as um, Lyme disease or what. And I haven't been able to leave my house for almost four months. And, I'm, and most of us are very healthy, and we're young, and we're active, and we've been knocked out for months. I'm sorry for all the travails you've gone through, but I thank you and express gratitude to you for letting us know what you've been through. I think this message has to go out there to young people who feel somehow an invincibility or an invulnerability. And uh, let me get you to comment on this, Dr. Bibbins-Domingo. Yeah, it, it, totally uh, correct. We are. We. Uh, I think there was a recent study where they looked at CT scans of uh, younger people or people who had been asymptomatic, and about a third of them actually still had abnormalities on CT scan. And this was among people who had no symptoms. Um, and so I think we are learning about this virus every day. One thing we have learned is that there is a longer course for many people. And I think that's an important note to end on. And I want to thank you, Dr. Kristen Bivens-Domingo. Good to have you with us this morning. Appreciate your being with us. And thank you, Laura Clivens. And thank you, Anita Chabrier. Appreciate both of your being with us as well. And appreciate our listeners being with us. And I hope you will stay with us throughout the day and be with us tomorrow when we will again bring you more of Forum. For all of us at KQED Public Radio, I'm Michael Crest. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.